This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com.
Welcome to From the Top, where outstanding young musicians come to play. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan. That was Jane Story, 16 years old from Stevens Point, Wisconsin, playing Fritz Kreisler's Preludium and Allegro in the style of Pugnani. Her collaborator on the piano was Tom Wagley, and Jane is one of our Jack Kent Cook young artists. How does a young person end up making the choice to dedicate themselves to classical music? Is it hearing an older sibling play and wanting to be like them? Attending an orchestra concert and marveling at how all those sounds fit together like a beautiful puzzle. Or maybe it's in their genes. Let's dive into how music finds these young musicians, or how they find music. Join me as I head back to the studio now with Jane, the young violinist who we just heard. Jane, what a stunning performance. That piece requires so much drama, so much intensity, and you brought it. Thank you. I was really excited reading about you because you and I have something in common. I hear you love puzzles and brain games. So, okay, one of your favorites is Ken Ken, which yep. I don't play. Tell me what is that and um, a little bit about why you love it. It's like a Sudoku puzzle, but with math. Right. So there'll be little blocks and you have to add or subtract or divide or multiply inside of those blocks, but still fill out the sort of Sudoku pattern. Wow. Right. So it's like Sudoku on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my favorites is crossword puzzles. I'm addicted. I do the New York Times crossword puzzle every day, but I understand that you do something with words, which is really fun and almost bizarre and just stunning to me. It has to do with how you read books to challenge yourself. Tell me about this incredible practice of yours. Yeah, so I like to read books upside down. <laughs> um, upside down? Yeah. What? <laughs> okay, explain. Um, sometimes I'll be reading and I'll be like not very interested in what I'm reading. And um, many years ago, I thought, well, what if I flipped it upside down and I read it that way? And it actually made my brain focus on it more. And it was also really fun to try to puzzle the words out. Wow. I'm Im impressed and baffled. Uh, but I know that you actually consider thinking outside the box to be like a superpower, right? Yeah. How would you say you use that superpower when you practice music or take on a new piece? Yeah. So when I'm practicing my pieces, um, I like to think of different ways that I can practice um, the piece. And that might include practicing it with my bow upside down. It might mm. be um, wow. practicing it in different rhythms or 
practicing it on a different string or practicing it really, really slow, like mm -hmm. way slower than the actual <laughs> tempo. <laughs> yes, I love that. I think it's so important to remember that practicing can be creative. Uh, I heard you had an exact moment that you realized you were more than just drawn to playing classical music. I mean, you actually needed it in your life. Can you tell me that story? Yeah, so the moment that I realized that I wanted to spend the rest of my life in classical music was when I was um, 12 years old. I soloed with the Madison Symphony for the first time, and that was my first time ever soloing with an orchestra. Mm -hmm. And it was absolutely surreal being on this huge stage with a massive audience and this professional orchestra behind me. And I came off the stage and I knew that I wanted to, to do that for the rest of my life. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jane. Thank you. I'm going to go try out a Ken Ken right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was 16-year-old Jane Story from Stevens Point, Wisconsin. You know, when I think about the desire to pursue music, it often begins with curiosity and exposure. But what happens next? Is it a groove that you just can't stop feeling in your body? Is there a parental push? Come along with me as we uncover how family can inspire the confidence to take a Debussy piano piece and arrange it for four mallets on the marimba. Leo, it's so great to meet you, man. Welcome to From the Top. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, you're a percussionist, of course, and when a lot of folks think about percussionists, they imagine a sound that I think is very rhythmic, rigid, or, well, percussive, so to speak. Uh, but you brought us a piece that's actually quite lyrical, right? Yeah, this um, piece is actually originally written for piano. Mm -hmm. um, it's called uh, Dr. Gratis Ad Parnassum by uh, Claude Debussy. Right. And uh, yeah, this piece is like super beautiful. It's on marimba. And um, it's definitely not your typical, like, what people would think of when, when I mention I play percussion. They think of just hitting right. a drum and, like, being loud. But this is very different from that. I can't wait to hear this piece. Whenever you're ready, take it from the top. Thank you. 
17-year-old Elio Esparza from Chicago, Illinois, performed Dr. Gratis Ad Parnassum from the Children's Corner Suite by Claude Debussy, arranged by Elio himself for the marimba. And um, wow, you've converted me to loving Debussy on marimba. Uh, now I want to hear you arrange all the Debussy <laughs> piano works for marimba, man. Well, it's clear that you found your passion here, your calling as a percussionist. But I know that when you started out with music, it was playing the piano at age five. But after a few years of that, you wanted something different, right? And you, I heard you were kind of losing interest. Uh, and then when you were nine, if I remember correctly, that's when you went to see your sister's jazz band and everything changed, right? What happened there? Yeah, so um, when I went to um, my sister's uh, middle school jazz showcase mm -hmm. um she was playing with the she played trumpet um in the jazz band and um as i was listening i was only watching the drummer not my sister which is kind of like <laughs> a little messed up but you know but the drummer is what was really like intriguing me um just like doing like crazy solos or that like yeah. fast like um the the groove and the fast swing on the ride like right. that was just like seemed impossible to me and it was I don't know. I was just like super interested. In, like I want to do that. Like, and I was already kind of getting bored of piano a little bit. So I was like, I won't take that, it personally. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> play piano. Um, yeah. But but then that kind of like you know like set in stone. Like oh okay, I'm gonna switch to this. Yeah. So now you're involved at the Chicago Musical Pathways Initiative, which is just a fantastic program for music students from traditionally underrepresented backgrounds. And I hear that you attended the Youth in Music Festival this summer, which is hosted by CMPI. What was that like? Yeah, that was awesome. So just being able to interact with people, um, like young musicians my age yeah. um, from all over the country, um, it was just really cool just to see people like me and, and also just the experience of... Um, playing under Ricardo Muti um, wow. at the last concert. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, we played. I mean, it was like an open rehearsal, but uh, it was really cool. We played Lay Preludes uh, by mm. List. And yeah, and that was like awesome. Like I've always just, I've been to like so many concerts and just seen him and be like, whoa, like I want to be, you know, on that stage with him. Um, and so it was just super cool just to be able to play in that first of all, Symphony Center, beautiful hall, and um, conducted by one of the greats. Um, yeah. And just, mm -hmm. I felt like powerful and like on top of the world when I was on that stage. Yes, on top of the world and powerful. I love that. And that's hopefully the kind of thing that just keeps bringing you back, wanting more and more of that feeling, that high that we get as performers, right? Right. Um, well, we at From the Top are very pleased to say that you are one of our Jack Kent Cook young artists. Congratulations. Hey, thank you. Um, any idea what you're gonna do with the funds? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely will need some, uh, like a, some instruments, like a xylophone, a glockenspiel, and then also allot some funds for like college audition travel and also yeah. get maybe some crash cymbals and a variety of mallets and sticks. Nice. Your your house is going to be <laughs> full of beautiful clang. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know how we're going to fit that all, but <laughs> we'll find a way. It's exciting, man. Um, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for spending some time chatting with me and for that performance. Thank you. Leo Esparza, 17 years old, from Chicago, Illinois. For over 15 years, From the Top has partnered with the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation, and together we've given out over $3 million of scholarships to young musicians with financial need. It makes me so happy that Jane and Aaliyo, the young musicians we've met so far today, are both recipients of the Cooke Award. I just know it's going to have a huge impact on their musical development. And funding is still available, so if you want to apply, please go to fromthetop.org and click Apply. In our next Young Performers story, we explore fear and adrenaline as part of the musical and human experience. 15-year-old Vladimir Tsipper from Egan, Minnesota, plays a lesser-known arrangement of some Shostakovich preludes. Vladimir, welcome to From the Top. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really thrilled to be a part of this. We're so happy you're here, and I'm really looking forward to hearing you perform Tell me a bit about what draws you to this piece you're going to play and even the era that produced the composer, Shostakovich. Well, I love movies. I 
It's a hobby. I love watching them. And the way that these preludes sort of resemble uh, small movie scenes, I just uh, love that. And recently I found out that Shostakovich actually used to play piano in movie theaters when for silent films. And I could yeah. totally see him writing this and just having this scene in his head play out. Well, I'm excited to sort of imagine that silent film era as we hear this performance. Tell me, who's joining you at the piano right now? Well, I am very fortunate to have my own personal accompanist in the form of my mom. (laughs) That's right. Your mom, Irina Elkina, is going to be your collaborator for this performance. Whenever you're ready, take it from the top. Thank you. 
That was 15-year-old Vladimir Tsipper from Egan, Minnesota, playing Shostakovich Four Preludes from Opus 34, arranged for violin and piano by Dmitry Tsiganov. His collaborator at the piano was his mother, Irina Elkina. What a wonderful performance by both of you. Um, Vladimir, we're going to hear a little bit more about the very special relationship that you have with a, with a pro musician as a parent. But let me first just congratulate you on that performance that was so evocative and wonderful. Thank you so much. I had so much fun playing it. I could tell. You know, you didn't seem nervous at all, which is amazing because performing, as we know, can be quite scary. Uh, but I hear that you're actually kind of fascinated with the idea of fear and and why we get scared, whether it's before performance or while watching a horror movie. Tell me a little bit more about this fascination. I don't know exactly why I just love that feeling of fear. I think I'm just fascinated by the fact that I'm aware that it's in a TV screen or a movie or or a projector. Like, I know it's not real, but somehow it still manages to creep me out. Yeah. And I, I think that there's something about having that artistic sensibility that goes hand in hand with, with the imagination. How would you relate the this idea of fear from a horror movie to your own experiences as a performer? Uh, there have been many parts of my life during different performances. I've tried different things. Sometimes I really leaned into being afraid uh, and like recognizing that I'm playing some pretty difficult pieces and yeah, it's pretty natural to be afraid. And sometimes I'm just like, no, no being afraid today. T- today we're going <laughs> to, it's going to be as easy as breathing. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's still something I do. I like to experiment with my mental state before performances. Right. I want to talk again about your mom who we heard perform with you earlier your story is just incredible. You started playing music at five, not on the violin, but on the piano with your mom as your teacher. Tell me about how that went down. Well, when I first started playing piano, I was not a particularly good, well-behaved student because <laughs> uh, I was five. Um, I wasn't getting into it. I was like constantly getting distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day, my mom decided, okay, that's enough. I'm not your mom, she said to me one day. I am Miss Irina. And (laughs) I, to be honest, I don't remember if I actually genuinely thought it was a new person or if I was just playing along. Yeah, I I heard that she would actually, like, go outside, right, and and come and ring the doorbell, like, as as this new persona. Yeah, uh, and I don't (laughs) understand why the fact that they had the same outfit and just face as my mom (laughs) uh, didn't, like, bother me. But the fact that they had the same watch just blew my mind. At the end of the lesson, I would ask her, I said, Miss Irina, your watch, it's the same watch that my mom has. Um, (laughs) Uh, And now, of course, you're not a pianist, you are a violinist, but your relationship with your mom continued because she became your collaborator on the piano. Um, Yeah, I feel very lucky. Oh, well, I just want to say that we feel really lucky that we had you on the show today, and our audiences around the country are lucky to have had the chance to hear you perform. So thank you so much, Vladimir. Thank you. That was 15-year-old Vladimir Tsipper from Egan, Minnesota. I just have to share one more thing from Vladimir's story. He told me that when he was much younger, he thought that all female accompanists were the moms of whoever they were performing with. Like, he went to a studio class performance, and when he noticed that there was a staff pianist who was performing with all of the other violin students, Vladimir turned to his mom and said, wow, she has a lot of kids, like dozens of kids. I just think it's so adorable that he assumed it was completely normal to have a parent as a musical partner. Okay, well, we have to take a short break, but coming up next, what do bowls, cliffs, and shoots have to do with playing a Chopin ballade? And is presence a state of mind more than body? We're going to get into that when we return with 15-year-old pianist Matthew Hahn. 
Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation, providing scholarships to high-achieving students with financial need. JKCF.org. And from the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency connecting young people with the arts in schools and in their communities. Learn more at MassCulturalCouncil.org. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. Welcome back to From the Top. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan. Today's program is possible thanks to the generosity of the late Earl Kahlberg. Mr. Kahlberg was a piano technician and a longtime listener to From the Top. He was really inspired by hearing our young musicians share their stories. He loved to learn about their path to music, and he wanted to ensure that future generations of young classical musicians will continue to be supported. Mr. Kahlberg's estate is a member of From the Top's Planned Giving Society that offers benefits and recognition during an individual's lifetime. Thank you so much to the estate of Earl Kahlberg. You can learn more at fromthetop.org. And I am personally so grateful for the opportunity to meet and work with the next generation of young musicians week in and week out. I am continually inspired by them. And that's possible thanks to Susan and Gerald Slavitt, who sponsor my position here on the program. Thank you so much to them. Too often, I think we silo certain skills and aptitudes. You know, it's like you're either a music person or a sports person, a science nerd or an eccentric artist. But why? Like, can the lessons gleaned on a ski slope be transferred to lessons at the piano? Let's head to the gorgeous performance space at WFMT Chicago's Classical Music Station, to find out what 15-year-old pianist Matthew Hahn has to say about this. Matthew, I'm so pleased to welcome you to From the Top. Thanks for being here and sharing some of your music with us today. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into your performance, I want to ask, what are you going to play and why did you choose this piece? What appeals to you here? I'm going to be playing Chopin's second ballade in F major, opus 38. I really like how it starts off in a serene kind of pastoral Mm -hmm. manner and then it all of a sudden it comes in and it's contrasted with like this bombastic turbulent section that's really thrilling yeah well whenever you're ready why don't you take this from the top
You heard Chopin's Ballade No. 2 in F major, performed by 15-year-old pianist Matthew Hahn from Lake Forest, Illinois. Wow, a stunning performance, my friend. Just beautiful. Thank you very much. Uh, you have such mastery over all those challenging technical spots, but also your lyricism really shines through in the opening. Um, nicely done. Thank you. Connecting with people through music is something that I value immensely. Like I heard that through your Korean heritage, actually, you've got a, um, a way of connecting with that identity as a musician. And talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I annually participate in the Sejong Music Competition. It's hosted by the Sejong Cultural Society for violinists and pianists. And mm -hmm. basically you perform a solo piece of your choice and then a newer composition based off of Korean folk music. I see. Well, we actually have a clip of one of the compositions that you played can you tell me um, a little bit more about what we are hearing in this piece? So this piece is Kwejina by Misuk Kim, and it's based off of a traditional Korean folk song. Is there a difference between how you feel as you play a piece like this versus, say, this Chopin ballade we just heard? Yeah, you definitely have to tune your mind into a different state and really think about what the composer was trying to communicate and how to listen for that theme of the traditional folk song. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because the Chopin ballade you played begins in a very folk-like kind of way. I almost hear a similarity stylistically between this piece that we're hearing now and the Chopin. Yeah, you can definitely draw parallels between the two and the way they start with the single note rhythm and then the harmony comes in. Right. Well, I want to talk now about another facet of your identity, and it's that you are a skier. So tell me more about those two seemingly disparate activities, piano and skiing. How are they alike? What's the connection there for you? Well, when I'm skiing and when I'm doing piano, the only thing I'm focused on is the skiing and the piano, and I'm just kind of in the moment and just thinking about the, my next turn or what the music ahead is going to be like. Mm -hmm. um, skiing also informs my piano playing when I'm going down the bowls or off of cliffs or through chutes, kind of that rush and that thrill and exhilaration. You, that kind of informs how I would play a faster passage or more exciting melody. Right. Yeah, man, I almost feel like we heard that today in the Chopin with those cascading right-hand arpeggios, you know, and the the rush of the and the roar of the left hand. Uh, I could kind of imagine myself. I'm not a skier myself, but that's probably about as close as I'd ever get is uh, in Chopin. Uh, Matthew, you're a man of many passions, and I know one of your passions is math. Is that right? Yes. I love math, and there's something so satisfying about solving a certain equation or theorem or completing a proof, and I find it really just fun in general. How does it compare, like, the satisfaction you get from completing a proof or solving a math problem to the satisfaction you get from, say, finishing a performance like that Chopin? Well, they're both very gratifying, and I think I have learned so much from just trying at a math problem and then practicing my music. And I think both, whether it's preparing for competitions or in this case, solving a problem, they can both teach me a lot about grit and, uh, yeah, grit. Grit, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, You need, I know I needed some grit to get through calculus class. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. 15-year-old Matthew Hahn from Lake Forest, Illinois. Thank you very much for having me. There's no doubt that these young musicians put in hours of hard work, but it doesn't happen without family support. And we've heard about some of the various ways that families play a role in the success of these students. And this next group highlights yet another facet of that support, siblings and a parent. 
Plus, add in one other non-family member, and what do you get? Well, let's find out. Here's the Virtuosi Trio from Salt Lake City, Utah.
The first movement of Paul Schoenfield's Café Music, performed by the Virtuosi Trio, with 15-year-old violinist Olivia Owens from Orem, Utah, pianist Hannah Baker, 19 years old, and her younger sister Sarah Baker, who's 17 and is the cellist of the trio. The Baker sisters are from North Salt Lake City, Utah. The trio is coached by Hannah and Sarah's mom, violinist Jenny Oaks Baker. My goodness, what a wonderful job you all did. Thanks to all of you for bringing that wacky and very fun piece. You sounded just great. Thank you. Well, Sarah and Hannah, I know that you two come from a seriously musical family, but how did you then meet Olivia? I was performing at a, it was called Salute to Youth, where you audition to play with the Utah Symphony. And then backstage, we started talking and we kind of met each other. And then we just kind of, yeah. Just I remember, yeah. Exactly. First time I talked to Sarah, while I was in my practice room behind stage, my mom had already gone, and it was about time for me to go on stage, and I was so scared. I was 11 years old at that time. I think Sarah was like 12 or something, and um, I was just waiting for that knock for someone to come and pick me up and take me backstage, and I was so scared. And then I heard this knock at the door, and so uh-huh. I was shaky hands. I opened the door, and it was Sarah. It was not someone to pick me up, but Sarah came to say good luck to me, and Aww. like she was oh, really so sweet. sweet. It was the nicest so thing. Sweet. It yeah, made me, it made me like, night. like a lot more confident. And she was like, I don't know, I just was so relieved that she wasn't someone to take me backstage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk candidly about practicing with the three of you because I know that. Uh, You all have slightly different things that have kept you focused, kept you motivated in the practice room. Like Sarah, you, like almost all young players, including myself as a kid, there's one very, very powerful motivator that gets you to practice, right? Or should I say a person? Yeah. (laughs) Who are we talking about here? My My mom. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And Olivia, I read that your drive to practice is actually all about your teachers. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents actually would try to get me to stop practicing sometimes because I had to get my homework done and I was getting bad grades. <laughs> uh, Hannah, I think you may have the funniest story that I've heard in a while about practicing, about when you were younger, practicing with your dad, a strategy you had. My dad would sometimes sit next to me as I was practicing as a little kid, like six years old or so. And there were times that I didn't want to be at the piano. And so whether my siblings were playing on the trampoline outside or whatever else so I would just play something really quiet and soothing Mm. and I would make sure I would lull him to sleep he was sitting next to me and I would just make sure I just put him to sleep with my music Mm -hmm. and then I would just go around the bench and run out of the music room and go jump (laughs) on the trampoline or play outside and then he would inevitably wake up come yell at me outside, tell me to come back in, and then I would just repeat the process over and over again. (laughs) Brilliant. What a mastermind. Well, I I just hope that, you know, wherever the three of you continue to go, you always find times to come back to Utah, get together and and read chamber music, uh, and because you all play so well together, thanks so much for your performance today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hannah Baker, Sarah Baker from North Salt Lake City, Utah, and Olivia Owens from Orem, Utah, members of the Virtuosi Trio. And there you have it. That's it for today's program. I hope you enjoyed meeting these young musicians as much as I did. And if you want to hear more stories about how young artists find their way to classical music, check out our Daily Joy video series on social media and let us know what you think. I want to thank all the young artists who appeared on today's program, not only for sharing their music with us, but also for sharing their humanity. And to you listening at home or in your car or eating a cheese quesadilla with spicy peach salsa, thank you for spending this time with us. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan. Please join me next week, and we'll take it from the top. From the Top would like to thank all the recording studios that helped us produce this show. The audio for the arts in Madison, Wisconsin, and audio engineer Buzz Kemper, Joshua Sauvageau at WFMT in Chicago, and Steve Call at Wild Sound Recording Studio in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Last but not least, Michael Gibbons at the Platinum Sound in Bountiful, Utah. From the Top would like to give a shout-out to Roger Esparza and Christopher Barrera from the Merritt School of Music for providing and setting up the marimba you heard on the show today. From the Top is produced by Megan Swan and Jessica Tickton. Sound design and music editing by John Escobar with editing and mastering by Rodrigo Cuenca. Our production manager is Amanda Roth. 
From the Top's executive director is Gretchen Nielsen. From the Top is an independent nonprofit organization based in Boston. If you'd like to appear on our program, apply online at fromthetop.org. From the Top is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. And from the Pew Charitable Trusts, sharing the data behind American diversity on its new podcast season, Race and Research, available at pewtrusts.org NPR. And from the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation at macfound.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You know, while From the Top is distributed by NPR, it isn't owned by NPR. It's an independent nonprofit, and so we have to do our own fundraising to make it happen. Please consider making a donation to our ongoing entertainment and education programs at fromthetop.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.